0: Alright, I guess, is Ryan not here? Where's Ryan at? Ryan's not here? Alright, good enough. Um, if, would you guys uh, stand with me uh, for the reading of God's word? We're going to be in James chapter 3. It'll be on the screen if you need it. If you need a Bible, throw your hand in the air, and someone will bring you one that you can borrow or steal. Uh, otherwise, turn, click, swipe, tap, touch, whatever you do to get to James chapter 3. And we're going to read to first 12 verses. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. You may be seated. Father God, we are, uh, we are grateful that we are coming together to worship you. We are grateful that you give us your word, and in your word you caution us about our words. May we be attentive this morning, hear those things, and heed them with caution. We lift up, God, um, this Concert going on across the street from us today. We pray for safe travels for those who are coming to that festival. God, we also know uh, that in this sort of exciting uh, music scene uh, that, that attracts so many, and we are so thankful for the music that is produced by by your saints and, and your holy ones. And yet we know that there are those who are attracted uh, to it for false motives. We know that there are are kids who do not yet know the redemptive power of the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray, God, that you would be revealed to them, that um, that you would show up for them in in their lives, uh, both the depth of their sin and the riches of your grace and might truly be converted. We pray, God, for the same in our midst today as well, that those of us who know you would know you better, and those of us who do not know you would know you first. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was uh, in, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth grade, I was going through that, that awkward phase where I didn't really know how to, to deal with girls. Um, that, that pretty much lasted until, until I got married, and then I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I had, I had this gimmick. It worked pretty well. You know, when you weren't sure, you know, how to, how to talk to a girl or how to break the ice, you, just, you said something kind of crazy. You know, you just said something kind of absurd. And then they'd be like, what? You know, and then then you'd be like, no, I'm just kidding. So, so <laughs> and then, then the ice was broken. You could continue, right? So, you know, I'd been talking to this this girl for, for a while, and we you know, I, I wouldn't say I like, got a thing for her, but you know, maybe maybe an evolving thing. You know, we were friends, we talk on the bus all the time, we were having fun. And uh, my brother had my little brother had a basketball game. And uh, we were at the basketball game, and and, uh, this girl's brother was in the same class, and he had a basketball game, and she was there, and I was like, oh, okay, caught off guard, this is not school, it's not the bus, foreign situation, how do I react? And so I said, uh, we'll we'll call her Katie, that's not her name, but uh, I hate you, Katie. You know, so that was the perfect, perfect entrance, right? I hate you, Katie. And then she's supposed to go, what? You know, I'm supposed like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. And then the ice is broken and we can continue, right? Well, that didn't work because <laughs> Katie just kind of got really upset and, like, turned and walked off. And I was like, oh, crap, I messed this up. Um, and then it turns out that, like, standing right next to me was my mom, right? And apparently she was talking to Katie's mom, right? her. So Katie's mom heard the whole thing and thinks I'm a horrible human being now. And like, I have no idea how to get out of this mess uh, because I was way too socially awkward to clean it up. Uh, sometimes our our words have a way of creating an entire course of action for us that sort of locks us in and, and we, we can't escape from it. We were never friends after that. Like, in fact, she was just, she was mean to me after that, like... I was completely on the outside of her circle, whatever that circle was, after that. Like, you know, you say something mean, and like it's not even. Uh, I had a, a youth pastor at my church I grew up in, he used to say, you know, for, for every put down, you had to have two put ups. And like two put ups doesn't cover it. Like if you hurt somebody, you need like 30, right? Like the, the, the amount of good things you have to do to cover up a bad thing is really large. And so that, you know, event, and I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but in my fifth grade, sixth grade mind, whatever year that was, like, that totally changed the course of my, my social experience for junior high, you know, that was, that set the course. And, and that's a lot of what James wants to say to us today, uh, that the, the tongue betrays our base tendencies the tongue betrays our base tendencies, and, and James wants to break that down by, by giving us a warning about the tongue, and that warning leads to an explanation of the scope of its effects, the source of its effects, and the substance of its effects. And so, we're going we're gonna to take a look, we've been in this series on James, we're at the halfway point, uh, I think next week is the halfway point, and, and we're, we're digging in. James has referenced the tongue before, but now he really really dives into the subject with a considerable amount of depth, and as I work through passages like this, and I think to myself, these are, these are the passages that we kind of skirt over. They're fairly easy to understand, and so we move past them quickly. We, sometimes we don't let the, the message really sink into our hearts and shape us, and so let's take a moment and let this passage sink in. So first, uh, a warning. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. At first glance, that might seem confusing to you. What is what is the connection between teachers and then being a, being a perfect human being, and 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 what is James getting at here? And I think the connection is is relatively simple. I mean, in the New Testament, the teacher, the role of teacher, was was very early on established. It probably was a carryover from the Jewish synagogues and the idea of the rabbi who, who taught the congregation. And so we, we can see this in, in Hebrews talks about having teachers and James talks about teachers and Paul talks about teachers. We've got teachers in the book of Acts. Um, and so teachers was was a recognized position in the church. And it's important because our, our goal as Christians is to make disciples of all nations. How do you make disciples of all nations? Well, you start by baptizing new converts is what uh, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 28. And then we go on to teach them to obey everything he said. And so teaching is, is essential to uh, the Christian life and, and the way the church operates and the way that we come together. That's, you can't have discipleship without teaching. So teaching is really, really important. Um, but by necessity, teaching involves a lot of talking. There's not a lot of ways around that. Teaching involves a lot of communication. And those who are called to be teachers are required to speak a lot more than people are on average required to. Some people just speak a lot anyways because that's, that's their style. Um, those of you who, who know me well know I, I can be talkative in, in certain situations, but a lot of times I'd rather just be kind of reserved. I'd rather just kind of be quiet, just be left alone, and just don't bother me. I'm a little introverted sometimes, um, and so when I'm up here, I'm, I'm, this is like this is 75% of the words I'm going to speak today during this this sermon, right? So. Uh, I am maximizing my opportunities to, to speak right now. And there's a danger in that. Uh, and, and the danger is that the tongue is sort of volatile. The tongue says stupid things. The, the tongue says hurtful things. It tells fifth grade girls you hate them, even when you don't hate them at all. You know, the tongue it is, is deadly. And so James says we all stumble in many ways. That's a granted, he says, we all have these, these inclinations towards sin. If there was a person who didn't stumble in their words, that person would be perfect. And what James is saying there is that it's sort of like the final frontier of sanctification. If you can control the tongue, you must have everything else taken care of because the tongue sort of comes last because we are so sharp we 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 think or we think before uh or too late after we speak right and and the words come out and then the thoughts come later and i know for certain that this has often been um, a difficulty in my life in fact um, i can look back on on any number of, of sermons i've preached or uh, lessons I've taught, especially when I was uh, younger, and have regret over things that I said. And, and I can't take those things back. You know, like where I, maybe I explained a Bible passage incorrectly or uh, I used a cheap gimmick to get a result in a sermon. And I can't take those things back. They're out there. They exist in reality. They've already influenced and shaped people. Uh, that I'll probably never see again. I can't I can't get those things back. And so there's a there's a danger in seeking to become teachers. Now, James isn't saying don't become teachers, but he's saying be careful. He said not many of you should become teachers because those teachers will be judged more harshly. Jesus said this himself. He says to those who are given much, much is to be required and those who are given little little is to be required. And so uh, to those that, that Jesus gives a platform to speak and to teach and, and those sorts of things, you know, Jesus is going to demand some recompense for those things. And, yeah, the, those things are going to fall under uh, more careful scrutiny. If I say something stupid in front of 60 or 70 of you, uh, that's going to affect things differently than if, if you said the same thing one-on-one to somebody else, right? So we, we get that. We get that. Um, so he's not saying don't be teachers, but there is wisdom in speaking less. What does the proverb say that even the fool is thought wise if he holds his tongue? Right. We we understand that there is um, a, a relationship between how much we speak and the power of our words. It's famously said that, and I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but it's a great story that at the, at the Constitutional Convention uh, of the United States of America, George Washington was silent the entire time until, until one, one point later on. I don't even remember the, the specifics, but at one point he got up and spoke. The entire Constitutional Convention. And when he did, it carried great weight and everyone listened. So there is value in being very careful of our tongues. We know they are dangerous. And James wants to drive this point home. He's not talking to teachers, but he's talking to people who might think themselves to be teachers. Maybe not. And so he wants to drive this home, and he, and he wants to tell us, that, look, let's look at the source of this problem, the source to this effect. And we see this Uh, excuse me, the size of the effect, how big a problem it is in in verses 3 through the beginning of 5. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder. Wherever the will of the pilot directs, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And so... James compares, makes two comparisons, right? The first comparison is that the tongue is sort of like a a bit. And uh, I I never did anything with horses. So I had to figure, like, how does the bit work? the bit's just like a little piece of metal. Um, You stick, I guess the horse have a gap between their front teeth and their back teeth, and you stick it in that gap. And then um, I guess a really skilled rider a really skilled rider can, can, can apply delicate pressure uh, to get the horse to move in very complex ways just by adjusting how they apply the pressure on the bit. And so this, this gigantic beast of a horse that can trample a man is, is absolutely controlled by a little small piece of metal and a strap. James also gives the, the example of a, a ship. And these, uh, these large roman I mean, we're not talking about baby ships. They had large ships in the first century too. And even these massive vessels could be controlled by one man turning a, a wheel connected to a rudder and, and steering the, the vessel wherever it might go on the winds and the waves. Uh, perhaps uh, James would use uh, a steering column today. Consider the steering column I wonder we can choose, you know, 65 mile per hour vehicle, or maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe James's analogy today would be consider the Amazon Echo. You can control all the lights in your home, and the music, and the playlist from one tiny little device. Um, <clears throat> whatever his analogy would be today, um, I think James is using maybe a little bit of godly hyperbole uh, that controlling the tongue can control the entire self. At first glance, it says, yeah, okay, that's, that's a little extreme, James, but you don't mean that fully. And in, he probably doesn't mean that in the, the absolute fullest sense that the tongue is at the end-all, be-all. In fact, his conclusion is, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. He doesn't say, so also the tongue is a small member that does everything. Um, but he does make a really powerful comparison between a couple small things that can control the whole entity. And, and there are ways in which I think that's not too far from reality. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, we have a tendency to be obligated to follow through on what we say. So if we say we're, we're going to, to do something, we have one of two possibilities left to us, right? We, we have limited ourselves now. To two possibilities. Either we make good on our word, or we don't. And if we later determine that what we said we were going to do is a bad idea, then we're really stuck, right? Because we are stuck either uh, having to break our word, and then we look untrustworthy, and we're condemned by our own words, or we follow through on our words to our own destruction. And, and, and so sometimes those, those words we say rashly, uh, oh yeah, I'm going to do that, don't worry about it, I'm going to take care of it, or, or, or whatever it is, they commit us to a certain trajectory. And the options to us on that trajectory are much, much limited. And in other cases, the words we use can establish the entire tenor of a conversation or a relationship so that a rut is created and it can be difficult or impossible to, to climb out of that rut. Sort of like I was with, with this girl in, in junior high. I, 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 with one sentence, entirely changed the course of our relationship in a way that was uh, practically inescapable for me. Entirely changed everything. And you know you've probably had experiences like that in your life. The first meeting on a job interview or, or a, a, an interaction with a coworker. You know, sometimes once somebody has begun to distrust you or dislike you or be hurt by you, it is nearly impossible to change the course of that relationship. But The, the opposite is true, too, although not nearly as strong. Sometimes if you, if you do well and, and you and you make somebody pleased, if you make somebody happy, if you gain their trust, it can be hard to lose it. But it is striking that it is much easier to lose trust than to gain it. It is much easier to wound than to heal. And so we see, again, the, the destructive power of the, the tongue. I was... Um, he James continues in verse 5 with, with really a, a, another metaphor that sounds like he is going for the small thing leading to a big thing. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Actually, he's setting up a new point here. He's setting up the new point of the source of the effect. But it is a, a powerful analogy. We, we still have the phrase, uh, it was spreading like wildfire. And we have this idea that we know something goes fast and powerfully and destructively. Last year, not far from my, where my parents make their home uh, in Tennessee, there was great wildfires that ravaged across this, uh, the areas around Gatlinburg and Pigeon Forge and, and east of Knoxville. The Knoxville News Sentinel reported uh, early winter, late last fall. The teenagers charged with setting the fire in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park that ultimately spread to torch thousands of homes and businesses and kill 14 people were horsing around with matches, sources say. The boys, age 17 and 15, were charged this week in Sevier County Juvenile Court with aggravated arson. Sources familiar with the teenagers and the investigation but not authorized to speak publicly about the case say the two boys are friends and they were hiking on the Chimney Tops Trail in the park on November 23 and tossing lit matches onto the ground around the trail. A hiker unwittingly captured an image of the boys walking away from the trail with smoke in the background and the Teenagers Clothing helped Authorities identify them. Little, tiny match. And if you've seen the videos, I couldn't find a video to put up there that wasn't either way too long, had too many ads in it, or way too many uh, words to bleep out. But the fire, if you saw any of the videos, was incredible. And, And there are some absolutely harrowing videos of that from a little tiny match. James says our words have the same power. So let's, let's look at what he says about the source of that effect. Again, like I said, this, this metaphor of the forest being set ablaze by a small fire is really his attempt to move toward the source of the effect He's going to compare the tongue to a fire which superficially resembles the last two comparisons. Something small creating something big. And that's, intru- that's true, but the, it's also changing in, in terms of its nature. Whereas a boat and a, and a bit and a horse's mouth are kind of benign, they're kind of neutral. This blazing forest fire is absolutely catastrophic. It's absolutely destructive. And in fact, he wants to highlight it, so he goes from more of a simile, the tongue is like, you know, a small spark, to the tongue is, he goes full-out metaphor, the tongue is a fire. And then James begins to pile up phrases in a way that's difficult to capture in good English, but the meaning is, is, is clear enough. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That's some pretty strong words, James. One of the things you'll notice um, as you read the passage over and over again uh, a few things that do stand, no matter what translation you're looking at, is that James says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness that it takes its place among the parts of the bodies in such a way that it stains us and sets on fire the entire course of our life. It's as if all of the unrighteousness that the world can hold has been compacted down into this tiny piece of flesh between our teeth. It's not too far. You know, again again throughout James we, we see James echoing his older brother Jesus. It's not far from when Jesus said that, you know, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, but it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean, because from out of the heart the mouth speaks. And so there's there's this sense in which the tongue just kind of It processes and filters all of the wickedness in our heart and shoots it out upon the entire world. And there it is, and it says, James says, it stains the whole body. Remember all the way back to chapter 1, James says that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the world of unrighteousness that stains us is powerfully located very often in our tongue, in our speech. And so this is no small matter, because if, if religion that's pure and undefiled before God keeps oneself unstained from the world, then the tongue, our speech, has the power to create in us religion that is absolutely not pleasing to God the Father. What's more, uh, he says that it, it sets on fire the entire course of life. And then this is the killer, it itself is set on fire by hell, the the Jewish word for hell, which is what James uses here, Gehenna, uh, was a it's a compound word that is the Valley of Hinnah, and, and, and the Valley of Hinnah uh, was a place where uh, Jeremiah talks about child sacrifices taking place, and then in, in later days it was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem where they would burn their garbage. And so the, the place took on this metaphor of being uh, sort of the, this seat of, of horrible evil. It was unclean. It was filthy. It was evil. Uh, horrible things and horrible atrocities had been committed there. And so and, and it was just always a blaze. And so it, it becomes this metaphor for the place of enduring and unending punishment. And so when James is saying that it's set on fire by hell, there's a reason why flames are part of our picture of hell. It's because of this picture of the valley of Hina. And this, James says, it's like you went down to the valley of Hina and grabbed some garbage fire from where the child sacrifices had been done and just set it in your mouth. This, this is almost the the picture that james has that it's it 's vivid and, and so there's a reason there 's a reason why we have such difficulty with this, and it 's because there's a sense in which it is very. Look, Satan, <laughs> Satan and his angels, let's put it this way, want to destroy us. And the reason they want to destroy us is because we're created in God's image. If you look at the demonic instances in the, in the Gospels, in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they are always defacing, they are always dehumanizing, they are always um, seeking to destroy that which reflects God. And so in the same way that the evil realm uses our tongue, our speech, to cause destruction and ruin. And in other words, our tongues can be used to do the bidding of Satan. And how else can you explain it, James asks? How else can you explain it that we human beings who are created in God's image to have dominion over the entire earth, that's Genesis 1, and have been very successful in taming, as part of our exercise of dominion, have been very successful in taming just about every species on the face of the earth. And yet, we are unable to bring mastery over our own tongues. There are some of you in this room that are better than me. Some of you but are probably worse than me. We're all at different points of this. But if there's anyone in this room who says, I've got my tongue completely under control, I'm sorry, you're a liar. <laughs> you're go, you really, really deceived. Um, I know I've said things to some of you guys that I regret or I've like, ooh, I hope that that one doesn't come back. And uh, I'll just apologize again if I didn't apologize for them because I say them a lot. Um, so I've heard some of you guys say some of them too. It, it, this is a difficult one. And there is... There is a reason why, if you look in the pages of Scripture, we like to look at the biggies, the big sins, right? You know, um, adultery and and murder, and and, and these are the big ones, right? These are the ones that really matter. And yet, as you look at the pages of Scripture over and over again, the sins of our speech are listed right there with the so-called big ones. Right there in the Ten Commandments, we're not to bear false witness. So our our speech is supposed to be absolutely truthful. We're not supposed to smooth it out or or massage it in any way in order to make it more palatable. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Leviticus 19.6, You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. Matthew 12, we mentioned this one briefly before, You brood of vipers, Jesus speaking. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Romans 1, Paul talks about those who have abandoned God and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And so on it goes. And so, so that the, the apostles have to con- constantly counsel Christians to behave differently. In Ephesians 4, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up or let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you or but sexual immorality and all impurity and or covetousness must not even be named among you let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving In Colossians, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In these two, you once walked when you were were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. That's only half the passages I had in my notes, and that's only about a quarter of the passages in Scripture. You get the idea that, that the sins of our speech are always right there with the so-called biggies. They're right next door. And, and, and so that doesn't excuse any of the biggies. Okay? That doesn't mean like, well, oh, see, you know, you know, we all slander, we all gossip, we all are boastful, so I guess you know, murder doesn't make a big difference anymore. No, no, murder is still a big deal. But your tongue is a big deal too and we've got to get them under control. And yet that's difficult because James says, but no human being can tame the tongue. So if... The tongue stains us from the world, and, and, and yet religion that pleases God is to keep ourselves unstained from the world. What hope, then, is for us? And here's where James is going to drive this home. He wants to get to the substance of the effect of our tongue. What is the very nature of it? What is the very stuff here? And, and we see this in the, the second part of verse 8 through the end of the paragraph. James says it's a restless evil, and in saying that, he is coming back to a theme that he's touched on at least two other times in this epistle so far. You know, we haven't talked about restlessness. You're right. Um, But this is one of those terms. It's got some, you know, James constantly is taking these words, slightly twisting them in order to, to kind of... Bring a thread through the entire book. A book that seems like it's going from topic to topic to topic to topic to topic. But he weaves these key words throughout. That, like, like stringing beads on a, a necklace. That kind of hold all these themes together. And it's a, it's a peculiar choice of words. But here, here it is. It's simple enough. This is uh, this is our old friend from the very beginning of the book. This is all the way back to, to James chapter 1. When he talks to us about about how we ask God, and we need to ask God in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and used. That man is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This restlessness here is the double-minded man again. It's the wavering man. It's the person whose commitments to the Lord Jesus Christ are fluctuating. They're unstable. They're moving. They are not standing on solid ground. They're restless in that sense. And that restlessness is evil. We know it's full of deadly poison. Uh, The Psalms, and and Paul quoting the Psalms, uh, talks about them being like the the poison of a a viper. And you see this double-mindedness in that with this same part of our body, we bless the Lord and Father and we curse people who are made in that same God's image. You hear the, the double mindedness there? There's this sort of contradiction. We've got one foot serving Jesus, and we've got another foot still in love with sin. And James says that's an unstable position. It's not what we are called to be and do as Christians. To to bless um, in you know Hebrew culture and to to, to speak good things of uh, and and to bless the God and Father probably meant something very close to to praise him. And to curse someone, uh, you know, in its fullest sense would be to proclaim you know God's damnation on someone, and and we we do that in our in our culture. That's why. Seems like a ubiquitous, you know, way of swearing throughout the ages. You know, damn this or damn that. Um, and sometimes we get real specific. Now I'm doing it, but God, would you damn that thing? You know, and, and, that, and that's our way of pronouncing a curse on something. It's not, it, it's not talking about four-letter words, um, except maybe D-A-M-N. But other than that, you know, it's, it's talking about how we, we show reproach and disgust. And, and hatred of other people, by by considering them to be worthless. You know, so so they are so uh, worthless in our eyes that we just want God to destroy them. And maybe it doesn't quite come to that level, but but we still speak ill of them out of a, a malice and a hatred. And and how often can we? Can we come on, on Sunday morning and, and we, we sing praises so we were blessing God and then Sunday afternoon or Monday morning we are we're, we're gossiping at the office or we are slandering a coworker or we are speaking ill about this or that politician or or uh, you know whatever is getting us angsty, uh, uh, anxious anxious uh, uh, that day, forgetting that all of these people that we are speaking about, are created to reflect the same God that we just praised and worshipped. And so if that God is deserving of all of our praise and all of our worship and all of our honor, and He is, and He made each one of us to be like Him in some way, then they haven't Intrinsic value. Each one of us and each person out there, they have an intrinsic value. They have an intrinsic worth that is beyond compare. And we are not in a position to question that value or to question that worth. And so when we um, use our words to tear them down, to destroy them, or even in the ultimate level to pronounce curses on them, We are so far out of line, James says, that we are not acting like Christians. We're not acting like Christians. It's it's, it's as ridiculous as a, a, a freshwater spring producing salt water or a fig tree producing olives or The Dead Sea, perhaps, producing a a spring of fresh, drinkable, potable water. It's absurd. It doesn't happen in nature. So why does it happen in us? Well, the, the obvious answer is, because as, as James makes the point earlier in the letter, the double-minded man is the man who doesn't really know Christ at all. Christ does not call us to have one foot in the world and, and to have one foot pursuing Christ. As, as Jesus himself said, that you know no man is, is fit for the work if he turns back after putting his hand to the plow. We're either all-in, or we're not in at all. The double-minded Christian is no Christian at all. James confesses we all stumble in many ways, but double-mindedness is a vice that cannot stand in the Christian life very long. It's absolutely incompatible with who we are called to be and what we are called to do. But but what no man can tame, verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. God can tame. And this is our our, our great hope. You can you can read all kinds of business advice, and you can read uh, all of the, the articles on LinkedIn that you want, and you can take uh, courses on success in the workplace, and they'll all tell you about all the kinds of things that you should say and not say on social media and in person and how you behave. But you know what? You can create a million rules for yourself about how to guard every one of your conversations, that they're productive and they're, and they're well, and all you've done is you've made yourself your own law, that you're inevitably going to break. doesn't make you holy. doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't make you good. Because the problem is deeper than that, as James says. The tongue is set on fire by hell itself. And so nothing short of a rescue from that hell is going to satisfy our need. And so... We can stand, those of us who are Christians can stand in a bit of a privileged position knowing that God Himself sent His Son to come and rescue us from a life that is set on fire by hell. That Jesus God in the flesh came and lived and suffered as we live and suffer, yet was without sin. His words never full of gossip. His words never full of slander. His words never boasting. His words always humble. His words always directed to encourage, to exhort, to challenge, to call to repentance. Always in line with God's holiness. And he died to pay for our sins and to be a substitution, to die the death that we deserve to die, rises again to new life so that we who place our faith in Him can also have new life. And so even as He is giving us new life by His Holy Spirit, so He can renew every part of us, including that tongue. So if you walk away from here thinking, okay, I've got a lot of rules now to follow. I, I, can't, I can't say these kind of things or these kind of things, these kind of things, these kind of things, and then, then, then I'll get it right. You've missed it because James says, no human being can tame the tongue. So don't try it. Don't try it. You are going to create to yourself uh, your own hell. You're just, you're just digging your, your own pit deeper and deeper Uh, toward the valley of Hina. Don't do it. But by the grace of Jesus Christ and and the the power of the gospel, uh, as, as we sung this morning, I will slay my sin. How? By making lots of laws and rules and regulations and check marks so that I make sure that I maintain holiness at all times. No. I will slay my sin by grace. And grace alone. And we've talked about this, that in God's grace is both the confidence to stand even when we know we are worthless. Even when we know we are sinners and even though we know we should shrink back. We can stand because Christ's blood has covered us. It's it's confidence. But it also is the encouragement to continue to pursue holiness. Because we know that in striving for holiness in Christ's grace, we will not be condemned when we do fall short. And so it is the greatest encouragement we have toward pursuing holiness. In in this sort of strange contradiction, knowing that Christ has already bought our righteousness for us is the greatest incentive and uh, uh, greatest motivator of pursuing righteousness this side of eternity. By His power, by His grace, His Holy Spirit working in us, what no human being can tame, can be tamed by God. But that is our only hope. And the reality is, is that the tongue, your tongue, your speech, your words, will betray your most base tendencies. It's hard to listen to our own selves. None of us like to do it. But but if you listen to your own self, Will the answer be that you're double minded? Will the, will the answer be that you are not surrendering your tongue to grace? James says it's sort of the last frontier of sanctification. But we need to surrender that as well, because if we don't, we destroy and consume each other, just like a a, a wildfire destroying the forests of Tennessee. Let's pray. God, I confess that um, my my words are are hurtful and destructive. Sometimes we confess that because we. We recognize, and I hope we all recognize that our words can be so hurtful and destructive. The words we mean to say, the words we don't mean to say. God, uh, forgive us because at times we have attempted to hurt people and been effective. Forgive us, God, because there are times when we just didn't even think about whether this would hurt someone or not and said it anyway. And so we didn't show them the consideration they deserved not because of who they are but because of whose image they're made in. We confess, God, we are bad image bearers. We confess that we Claim you are beautiful, and then we spit on your image in the person of other persons. Forgive us these sins. God, we we ask that we would fall again at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and cling there for every ounce of strength and courage to take our tongues under control to master them not by our own strength and our own orderliness, but by your power and by your majesty. That we might show love and affection and and compassion and goodwill and a readiness to proclaim your gospel with each and every breath that crosses our tongues. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Bird Rushing wind,
1: art so strong. The clouds that sail in heaven law. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah. Now rushing And a boy, oh, praise him, allay praise him, allay do ya. Father, praise the Son, and the Spirit, three in one, oh, praise Him, oh, praise Him, alleluia.